This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we feature two shows that were first aired in 1949. Now, if you were around back then, you listened to radio since TV was in its infancy. One of the most popular shows was Life with Luigi. The action centered on Luigi Basco and his experiences as a newly arrived Italian immigrant in Chicago. Now, many episodes took place at the night school classes that Luigi attended with other immigrants from different countries. Perennial character actor and two-time Academy Award nominee J. Carol Nash played Luigi. Life with Luigi was created by Cy Howard, who had earlier created the hit uh, My Friend Irma. The working title was The Little Immigrant, echoed in the sign-off of each episode, Your loving son, Luigi Basco, the little immigrant. Well, other characters on the show included Pasquale, played by Alan Reed, another Italian immigrant who always was trying to trap Luigi into marrying his rather obese daughter, Rosa. She was played by Jody Gilbert. Each episode used the framing device of Luigi narrating a letter to his mother back in Italy. The show was popular, successfully completing, uh, competing, that is, with Bob Hope's The Pepsodent Show. And for most of its run, Life with Luigi aired at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays. Despite an estimated 30% share of the audience in its time slot, the show was without a sponsor until Wrigley's Gum brought it in uh, 1950, continuing until the show ended in 1953. Wow, what sponsor today wouldn't give its eye teeth for a show with 30% ratings? Well, tonight, we'll hear about Luigi's first date with an American girl. We invite you to enjoy life. Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring that celebrated actor, Mr. J. Carol Nash, with Alan Reed. when Luigi Vasco left Italy to start his new life in America, he promised his mother that he would write her and tell her about his adventures. So now, we look over Luigi's shoulder as he writes another letter to Mama Vasco in Italy. Dear Mama Mia, it's now almost one year I'm in America, and everything is new and exciting. Like a traffic system they got here in Chicago. Streets is a full of people and a cars. In our little town in Italy is also traffic. Streets is a full of people and the goats. <laughs> I will remember how every day a goat to run over somebody. Over here is a much safer. I'm in Chicago one year and I'm never see anybody get a hit by a goat. <laughs> 
Mamma Mia, I explain to you traffic system in America is a very simple. Here they have a light. Red the light to mean the car is a stop, the people are gone. Green the light to mean the car is a go, people are stopped. It's a nice and a simple. Only trouble is the Mamma Mia in the middle, they got a yellow light. I'm a hero one year, still I don't know what is the mean of yellow light. First, I think, is maybe to keep away mosquitoes. <laughs> then I'm going to stand on the corner and a watch and a watch and a watch. And uh, now I think I know. Yellow light is uh, to mix up everybody and to give a cop enough time to hand out the ticket. <laughs> Mamma mia, sometimes when I think about this traffic system, I, I think America is a very good, but uh, maybe it's a safer for a man in Italy. Goats that don't have offenders. <laughs> this reminds me of our countryman Pasquale, who has a spaghetti palace the next door to my antique store, and who bring me to this country. He is still the one thing I should marry is a fat daughter Rosa. Pasquale, he's got a, what they call here a single track of mine. And the Rosa, she's a, the super chief. <laughs> like this morning, my door opened and... Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Pasquale. Luigi, my countryman, all the night long, I'm not asleep sleep because I'm worried about you. Just look under my eyes. What do you see? Your nose. <laughs> no, no. What do you see on the top of my nose? More nose. <laughs> Luigi, look under my eyes. See deep, dark circles. That's just from a worrying about you. And you know why I'm worrying about you? Why, Pasquale? Because the trouble with you is you never go out. You in a store all the time. All the day long you sit and read. You sit and you sit. You use your head too much. <laughs> Pasquale, the reason I sit and read is because I'm studying the English language. What should it go to study English when the only one you talk to is me and we talk Italian? <laughs> Luigi, is the time you went out and meet other people. Why you shut yourself up? You like in the closet. You must go out and live and laugh and love. How I do this to Pasquale? Take out of my daughter Rosa. <laughs> I'm back in the closet again. <laughs> All right, have it your way. I'm not going to bother you about marrying Rosa. I'm going to come here to tell you to go out and have a good time. That's good for your health. Where do you think I should go, Pasquale? Well, we're all the tired of business. The men that go at night? To bed. No, they go to night the club. They have a bed there? <laughs> Luigi is a night the club, but not a Turkish bath. <laughs> Pasquale, I like it to go out and enjoy myself when I go to my first night the club. And I do the things American people do. But it's a no enjoyment to go out to with your daughter, Ross. No enjoyment to go out with a Ross, eh? <laughs> Luigi Basso, look at you. Five foot to four, curly hair, two different color eyes, <laughs> big ears, a little nose, a crooked teeth, a green coat, a belt in the back, sneakers. Pasquale, nice to talk, but don't it change in my mind. <laughs> Listen to your shrimp, your green horn, you. Nobody's going to go out with you but a big dope. So why don't you go out with my rosa? 
Pasquale, Rossi is a very nice cigar. But not for me. Then who is it for you? You've been in America one year. You go out with a nobody. Why? Because no American girls will go out with you. That's not true. I never ask American girls. Luigi, you couldn't get an American girl even if you were born in America and a girl is born in Italy. <laughs> I prove you wrong, Pasquale. I get American girls. All right, my little man. I'm telling you what I do. I show you Pasquale's sport. If you get American girl to go out with you tonight, I pay check at a nightclub. But if you don't get a girl to go out with you tonight, you take out a rosa. Is it not the fair, Pasquale? Oh, little mouse is talking big. He's not so sure of himself. I'm sure of myself, Pasquale. I get American girl and go out tonight, or my name is not Luigi Bosco. What do you say to that? Goodbye, Sam. <laughs> My teacher, Miss Spaulding. Hello, Mr. Luigi. What brings you to my classroom? There's something I want to talk to you about. But the first, here's an apple. What a lovely red apple. Miss Spaulding, if I have my way, I bring you ten apples every day. In a one a month, you'll have your own push cart. <laughs> Mr. Luigi, it's nice of you to think of me that way. Miss Spaulding, I'm always a think about you. I remember when I first started in your night school class. Somebody tells me how much little salary you make. You know, since that day, I'm a come to school with my own chalk. Mr. Luigi, that wasn't necessary. And remember last Christmas, the whole class chips in and buys your fountain pen. And you found one extra present. Handkerchief. That handkerchief was yours? Out of my own pocket. I paid for it myself. <laughs> Mr. Luigi, that's very touching. You've got no idea how I feel about you. When I stand up in a night school, and I'm going to recite the Jack and the Jill went up at the hill, <laughs> then I'm saying it to myself, Luigi, when are you and Mr. Spalding going to make that trip? <laughs> I had no idea you felt this way. You've got no idea how I'm feel. Remember when it shows that the stupid, delicatessen of man... It puts a tack on your chair and you sit on it. Believe him, Miss Spaulding. The pain went right through my heart. <laughs> Please, Miss Spaulding, is there something I must know? What is it? Would a nice American girl like you go out with a poor Italian fellow like me? Yes, Mr. Luigi. I wouldn't be an American if Columbus hadn't discovered this place. Aha! Uh -huh. Pasquale is wrong. Tonight we go tonight at the club. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Luigi, but I have another date for tonight. Oh. Are you sure you tell the truth? Maybe you think I can't afford it. Not at all. In fact, the fellow I'm going out with tonight's very poor. He doesn't have a penny. Oh, he's another school teacher. <laughs> no. But it's important for me. I must get American a girl for tonight. Why tonight? Because of Pasquale. He's the say I know can't get American a girl. Now, Mr. Luigi, it's easy to know girls. Have you seen any American girls you like? Sure, I see. Well, then it's very simple. Why don't you call one of them up? How? Just use your phone book. Thank you, my teacher, Miss Spaulding. I do it. <laughs> Mr. Spaulding, it says to use the phone book. 
Sounds funny, but I use it. Chicago Telephone Directory. Classified. Let me see. Girls, I look on the G. <laughs> Garbage disposal. <laughs> Garment bags, the gas sets of generators. Ah, ah, now I'm getting it close. Dirtle. <laughs> Galactic. Mamma mia, where's the girls? That's the funny, there's no list of girls. Must be all out of town. What's the other telephone book? Ah, here's a lot of names. American the telephone book that must be full of good American men. Hello. Oh, Hula Hen. Prisoner Swanson. All of it. By Julian Jung Lu Meyer. Smith. Ah, that's a good. I think I look up nice American men. Mary Smith. Huh. Let me see. Mary Smith. Mary Smith, Mary Smith, Mary Smith, Mary. <laughs> Must be a very popular girl to have a name in it so many times. <laughs> and the look with all the different addresses, she's a guy. Come me, if people can't get a place to live with this girl, she's got a hundred apartments. <laughs> well, I think they call her up. I shot the squally. I find American girl tonight. Hello, Mary Smith. This is Luigi Basco. Can you go out on a date with me tonight? This is Mr. Smith. What are you saying? Well, I find out a girl. I get a different American name. Je- Jones. Betty Jones. That's the name. Hello? Hello? Is this Miss Betty Jones? Yeah, who's this? This is Louise. Oh, gee, Louie. No. No, Louie. Oh, cut it, Louie. When'd you get back? I'm gonna never win. <laughs> hey, are you pulling my leg? Oh, my telephone is not the possible. <laughs> hey, who is this, anyway? Louie Jabasco. You're not kidding. No. It's a funny thing. In America, nobody says a goodbye. <laughs> well, if it looks like a Pasquale, you're going to win as a bet. I'm going to try one more girl. Oh, here's a nice name. Susie Brown. I try. Ever stand for one, please. What number are you calling, please? I'm not calling a number. I'm calling Susie Brown. Ever stand for 41. That's a suburban call. I'll have to connect you with the tall operator. Hmm. Phone company has a two sizes. Tall operator and a small operator. <laughs> well, I guess a tall operator is a for long distance. <laughs> Listen, for Luigi Basco, maybe you got the medium size operator? <laughs> Operator, are you busy? What do you mean, sir? Well, I'm going to a nightclub tonight. And I'd like to know if you like it to come with me. I'm sorry. It's against the company rules. Then you want to go? I didn't say that. I just said it was against company rules. Oh. However, it's not against the company.
company rules to be in front of the Wrigley building at 8 o'clock wearing red tops, open toes, mesh stockings, 51 gauge, blue hat with brown feather, and I'll have on a scrumptious fur coat imitation I.J. Fox. <laughs> Peggy Marshak. Oh, shh, the supervisor's coming. Deposit another five cents, please. And how will I recognize you? Well, well, that's going to be hard. Wait, I know how you recognize me easy. How? I'm going to carry a balloon. Now for the second act of Luigi Vasco's Adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy. So now, Mamma Mia, I'm gonna have it tonight, my first date with American girl. If you see me now, Mamma Mia, you think maybe your boy Luigi is a crazy. Here it is a Sunday and I'm already take a bath. After that, I poured on myself some special stuff I buy from a barber. It's a very expensive. It cost me ten cents. I have for milk about <laughs> Now, now you can smell me all the way to Italy. <laughs> also, to make good impression, I'm gonna dress up extra special. You should see my suit now. Looks brand new after I'm gonna get through washing it. <laughs> so now, so now I'm gonna tell Pasquale. All about to my date with American girl. Hello, Pasquale. Well, you like this. My eyes say it's a Luigi, but my nose don't believe in my eyes. <laughs> Stop making fun of me, Pasquale. I'm all dressed up for the night club. Oh, Luigi, my son, I'm almost forgot. Are you all dressed up to take out of my road? No, I'm going to take out a telephone operator. Where you get a her? From a telephone company. <laughs> Must be a new kind of service. <laughs> Pasquale, I'm not here to argue. Remember what you promised me. If I get a date to myself, you pay for the nightclub. That's the matter. You're crazy. You think I'm going to lock the barn when somebody's not going out with my horse? Pasquale, this afternoon you promised me. Then it was impossible for you to get a girl. It was impossible for me to keep a promise. Now, is it possible for you to get a girl? Is impossible for me to keep a promise. <laughs> you, mean, you mean you're not going to pay? My friend, I give you my answer in two words. Impossible. <laughs> Pasquale, you think you're killing my good time, huh? Well, you won't. I'm going to use my own money. I'm going to take a girl to night club. We eat, we drink, we dance, we go home in a taxi. And then maybe even I'll buy her a flower. Oh, how much money you got, a little man? A dollar and eighty. A dollar eighty, you big stupid. You couldn't use... You, dollar eighty, eh? Sure, that's a fine, fine. With all of that money, you can have a wonderful night. You can go any place to eat all you want. You sure, Pasquale? Well, I'll prove you. Here, look at my menu. Ham sandwich is 20 cents. With a pickle is 20 cents. With a potato chip is 20 cents. With a bread is 25 cents. <laughs> Pasquale, people eat during the daytime. Nighttime of food is sure to be cheaper. Sure, that's right. So maybe a sandwich is only 15 cents. Or you order a whole dinner. In my restaurant is 65 cents. In a night the club is a night the race, maybe 50 cents. 
You think you think I can also order the wine? Sure, wine. I charge you fifty. The gentleman they only charge a nickel. Then I have enough to left for a taxi. Sure, that's right. Taxi is only twenty cents a mile. I go only half a mile at a ten cents. Sure, you see, Luigi, you take a girl out at the night the club like a chef Paris. You eat, you drink, you take a taxi, you still have a 40 cents left over. What are you going to do with it so much about it? Let me see. I know. If I like a girl tomorrow night, I take her out again. In America, I love you. You like a papa to me. Almost. Hey, there's a five minutes after it. I wonder where is the girl. I'm standing here with my balloon. Maybe she's not to come. Hey, there's the girl with the red the shoes, the black the coat. Oh, Mr. Marshall. Hey, here's me. I beg your pardon? I'm a fellow make a date with you. Luigi Bosco. See the balloon? Oh, brother. No, not as a brother. It's for me, Luigi. <laughs> Well, it was a very pleasant evening. Goodbye. Oh, but the lady, what about the date with a nightclub? Are we going to take me? Nice to quiet the place. Jez the Paris. Jez Paris? Oh, you must be really loaded. Appearances are certainly deceitful. So, what have I got to lose? Okay, let's go. <laughs> Yes, right this way. I have a nice table for the... Hey, ain't you Luigi Bosco? Remember me, Tony Manelli, Napoli. My father, fisherman. Tony Manelli, that's right. You little boy. Now you're big ahead of I'm happy to see you. <laughs> Luigi, no case of you. Okay. <laughs> I, I understand you're going with Pasquale's daughter, Rose. Last time I see Rose, she's a big juice like elephant. But this little girl, she looks just like a chicken. Don't worry, Rose is still big like elephant. This chicken is somebody else. Well, have a good time, Luigi. Fred, sit down on the special table. Well, good evening, mister. That's a nice fellow, Luigi. You know the right people. Well, you see, I know him since I'm a baby. My mother used to clean a fish for his father. My father? My father heard there was a man. Every morning, winter, summer, snow, rain, he get up at five o'clock in the morning. What To wake up with my mother to go to work. <laughs> it's a big place, no? Uh-huh. Right this way, sir. Your table. May I have your hat? It's uh, no use to you take. No fit to you anyway. <laughs> oh, you're so continental. Excuse me while I go out of my nose. Order for me, will you, Louise? Uh, here's your menu, sir. Thank you, Mr. Waiter. I'm uh, going to order a big meal. Now, let me see. First, we start with, uh, with, uh, Waiter. I think there's a mistake in your menu. What's wrong? It'll stay here. Ham sandwich at two dollars. <laughs> and for the decimal point in the wrong place? <laughs> Should have been 20 cents. 
<laughs> no, it's right, all right. I'll live. I'll live to one dollar. Must have been very expensive fit. Lemma chops of four dollars. Mr. You prepare something special for me? Yes, yes. What would you like? Ham a sandwich for 20 cents. Sir, <laughs> 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 well, you must be joking. Our cover charge is four dollars. Then take away the tablecloth. <laughs> well, while you're thinking it over, would you like to order a drink? That's what I like. Good, good. What'll it be? Two glasses of water. <laughs> what can I do? I'll bring it. Two glasses of water, 80 cents. Oh, Mamma mia. Dr. Pasquale, he's to do this on a meat purpose. Now, what am I going to do? Oh, Luigi, I'm enjoying myself immensely. Uh, what did you order for us? Nothing. Oh, you're so considerate. You wouldn't order without me. Well, I know just what I want. Steak. I was afraid of that, but let's you go. Go? We just came. And they had such a good floor show. Danny Thomas and the thought flying the carpet. Listen to Peggy. Listen to Peggy, I must tell you the truth. The reason we go is because I... Luigi, no... my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello, hello. I see you celebrate. So, well, sit down and we join you. Pasquale, we're going to... Pasquale, don't push. Then stay. We all have a good time. Let's go, Luigi. Oh, you're here alone, Pasquale? No, I'm here with my daughter, Rosa, the two of us. We're a preacher. <laughs> Rosa, come here. Say hello to Luigi. <laughs> hello, Luigi. Hello. <laughs> hello, Rosa. Say hello to the young lady. Hello, young lady. Hello, Rosa. Anything else you want me to say, Papa? No, shut up your face. <laughs> We're very happy to be your guest. I'm glad that somebody's happy. Well, we're going to eat. I love the food. Luigi, you eat yet? No, the food here is too rich. <laughs> I don't think so. What do you mean? Well, I'm order. Waiter. Yes, sir. Put this down. Two shrimp cocktails, two vegetable soup, two chef salad, two T-bone steak, two mashed potatoes, two string of beans. Two bottles of beer, two Boston cream pie, two cups of coffee, and a two plates ice of cream. Will that be all? No, I'll have two the same. After the best supper I've having in my life, a steak, a potatoes, a pie, ice cream, but what could have come after such a supper? The electric chair. Luigi, <laughs> you're a wonderful host. I'm so full I could have bust. When? Hey, Pasquale, I hope you and the Rose enjoy the meal. Very much, Tony. I'm sorry Luigi don't eat it because the man who pays the check, he should eat. It's a good idea, Pasquale. You eat, you pay the check. <laughs> no, Luigi. I'm not going to take this pleasure away from you. Please, foster yourself, Pasquale. <laughs> no, it's no use. Tony, give Luigi the check. Tony, Tony, I'm ashamed, but I must have... Luigi, that I Luigi, sit down. Pasquale. 
the check. <laughs> I'm not going to pay. <laughs> Luis is going to pay. Oh, no. You wait till you pay. <laughs> Before I pay. You wash it a dish. Oh, no. First you pay. What a cheap frame-up. All right, I pay, but I'm going to never come here again. The food is terrible. I, Rosa? I'll have two of the same. Oh, shut up, you say. <laughs> Well, Tony, thank you. Hey, sit down, sit down, Louise. Don't run away. I'm going to explain why I give Pasquale the check. Why? Well, six years ago, Pasquale bring me to Chicago. Uh-huh. He promised me big opportunity. What do you think is a big opportunity? Not to tell me. You're right, Rosa. <laughs> One year, he make my life a miserable trying to marry me to Rosa. But tonight, tonight, I finally get even with him, and thanks to you, Luigi, my countryman. You're welcome, Tony. But please, now we have to go. No, no, no. Now you and your girlfriend sit down and eat. Eat? Yes. The food is on the house. Thanks, Tony. But if it's a same to you, please put a food on the table. <laughs> All right. What are you going to have? I'm going to let the Peggy order. Peggy, you favor, please. Yes, potatoes, pie, ice cream, coffee, bread and butter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, Tony, one more thing. What's that? No water. <laughs> well, uh, good night, Peggy. Thank you, Luigi. Is it this American custom? Standing in the hallway? Yeah. But don't ring on the doorbell if you wake up all the neighbors. Peggy, I'm going to tell you something. For the first time tonight, I'm going to go out to an American girl. Tell the truth. You and I have a good time, huh? Oh, no, Luigi. I had a wonderful time. You did? Uh-huh. I don't believe you. Oh, <laughs> yes. And you know what I like about you, Luigi? You like? Yes. Every other fellow I go out with, all they can think of is wrestling. They're different. If you like, I study wrestling. No! Luigi, <laughs> I'm not doing anything Tuesday night. Maybe you're not doing anything Tuesday night. So what? Maybe we're both not doing anything on Tuesday night. No. It means we have a date. Oh. 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 Good night. Good night. I said goodnight. That's what I said. <laughs> goodnight. Goodnight. And so, Mama Mia, I'm a closing this letter to tell you everything that come out the good on my first date with American girl. But maybe you think I was act a little too fresh. I let the girl kiss me. <laughs> also, Mamma Mia, I must say, I'm a very grateful to Alexander Graham Abella for an inventing a telephone operator. P.S. <laughs> you're loving a son of Luigi, the little immigrant.
next week at this time over most of these stations when Luigi Vasco writes another letter to Mama Vasco describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production and is written by Highcraft and Cy Howard and stars J. Carol Nash as Luigi Vasco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Music is directed by Lynn Murray. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Suspense next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Suspense and the episode The Day I Died, starring Joseph Cotton. And now, Autolite presents Mr. Joseph Cotton in a tale well calculated to keep you in Suspense. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Why is that window open? It's getting stuffy in here. I told I... you to keep it closed. You might be seen from the street. I haven't gone anywhere near it. No one. Don't could... argue with me, Will. Keep that window closed. And shade down. Now, just a minute. I- I'll give the orders around here. You're still my wife, Leslie, and this is still my house. You're forgetting something, aren't you, Wells? I'm not your wife. I'm your widow. And it's been my house ever since the day you died. <laughs> I did what Leslie told me because, well, she was right. A dead man can't put up much of an argument. He has no authority, not even with his wife. Things had been different once. I had money, power, and there was nobody in the world who would have presumed to tell Wells Galloway what to do. But that was before a certain evening in July up at Lake Latimer. That was before Red Tuttle, my law partner, paid me a visit at my cabin up there. In other words, that was before the day I died. I was alone. I'd gone to the cabin to be alone, to try to figure things out. The money was gone by that time. I'd thrown it away, hundreds of thousands of dollars in good living and gambling. And in a sense, Leslie was gone, too. Oh, she was still my wife, but the man she loved was Norman Vale. And I knew it, and she knew I knew it, and she didn't much care. So this time I'd come up to the cabin without my rifle because I wasn't planning to do any hunting. But I brought along a revolver for reasons I didn't admit to myself, and I left it lying on the table in the living room. I was staring at it that evening when I heard the cab from the village stop down on the highway. There was still a little light, and I saw a shock of flaming red hair on the path between the trees, and I knew my partner was going to honor me with his presence. I thought I knew why, too, and I wasn't wrong. I couldn't believe my eyes, Wales. I still can't believe it. I came all the way up here just to hear you say it isn't true. You wasted your time, Rad. It is true. But good Lord, man, we were appointed trustees of that estate. Taking those bonds was a criminal act. Why did you do such a thing? I needed the money. Well, I hope you're ready to pay it back before the heirs get wind of it. I'm not. I haven't got a cent. Then what are you going to do? I don't know yet. You certainly don't expect me to... Is that what you're thinking, Wells? It is, isn't it? Well, I'll be hanged if I'll do it. I'm not going to take a beating to cover up for you. You cash those bonds and you'll make them good. Oh, go away, will you, Rad? What? I said go away. I don't care what you do about those bonds. I've got more important things to worry about. Like your wife, Wells? Well, don't expect any pity from me there, either. I'm not asking you for anything. You're responsible for losing Leslie. No man could treat a woman the way you've treated Leslie and get away with it. You made a slave of her. You practically locked her up in your house. I think you'd better go away, Red. I'll go when I get the money to buy back those bombs. Not before. Oh, for the luck. Here. Here. Here's my ring. Here's my watch. Take them. They ought to be worth something. Take them. Take them and get out. I'll take them, Wales. But it's not enough. It's all I've got. I tell you. Now, leave me alone. All right. 
When I leave here, I'm going to the police. Police? Yes. If you think I'm going to suffer for your mistakes, you're wrong. I'm going to bring charges against you before the Prescott Air start prosecuting the firm. Why, you dirty... That was another mistake, Wells. I won't take that either. He was stronger than I. His blow caught me on the chin and I went staggering across the room. Christ against the mantel above the fireplace. Kerosene lamp had been burning there. It toppled off and fell on the floor, but I hardly noticed it. My eyes were on something else. On that revolver that lay on the table by the window. I don't remember picking it up. I only remember how it felt in my hand. Wells! No, Wells! Put it down! Wells! The first shot dropped red to the floor. But I kept on firing because I couldn't stop. This was power again. The power to kill, and I loved it. But not for long. With the last bullet, the spell was broken, and then was when the fear came. I'd never known fear before. I wasn't prepared to deal with it. It took hold of me. It shook me until I was trembling from head to foot. It brought the sweat popping out of every pore. It wouldn't let me approach the body, not even to reclaim my ring and watch. It carried me out of the cabin and sent me stumbling into the darkening woods. And I spent the night there, wandering blindly through the blackness. In my hand, I still carried the gun. Long before dawn, I began to wonder why I hadn't saved one shell, just one. For if my life had reached dead end a few hours ago, then what would you call this? Where did I go now, now that I was wanted for murder? It was daylight when I came out of the woods. There was a truck rumbling toward me. Desperate men take desperate chances. Give me a lift to the city. I sure, mister. Hop in. Wells Galloway was wanted for murder. I knew that right away. I knew it from the way he looked me over, but it didn't matter. Nothing mattered. This really was dead end. Uh, I guess you're okay, mister. Shut the door. What do you mean, okay? Well, I thought maybe you're the guy I heard about back at Lake Latimer. What, what guy? Well, it was a murder back there last night. One fella shot another one in the cabin, then burned the cabin down. Burned it down? Sure. Right to the ground. Couldn't even have identified the body. Only they found a ring and a watch on it. <laughs> I figured you might be the killer, but... Ah, he's a redhead. Poor named Tuttle. The guy I killed was his law partner. Big shot with a fancy moniker. Something like, uh... uh oh, Weld Galloway. <laughs> Suspense, Autolite is bringing you Mr. Joseph Cotton in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. going to speak at the 4th of July picnic. I sure am, Hap, and by happy coincidence, I just happen to have a copy of my speech right here. Uh-oh. I'm going to say, on this glorious occasion, it behooves us all to think about that dandy, dynamic, dependable Autolite stay-full battery that needs water only three times a year, normal car use. Mm-hmm. On this historic occasion, my friends, let's look at facts. An Autolite stay-full battery practically eliminates one of the major causes of battery failure. And in addition, it's protected by fiberglass insulation for stronger life, longer life. My, my. Think, my friends, longer life. In recent tests conducted according to the Society of Automotive Engineers Life Cycle Standards, 
Autolite Stay-Full batteries gave 70%, yes, 70%, longer average life than batteries without Stay-Full features. It's inspired, Arnold. So remember these words that will go ringing down the corridors of time. An Autolite Stay-Full battery needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And at this point, Hap, I take a long, cold drink of water. Why? Because I'm thirsty. You know, I'm not an Autolite Stay-Full battery. And at this point, suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage, Joseph Cotton as Wells Galloway in The Day I Died. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. So the day I killed my partner turned out, as far as the law was concerned, to be the day I died. <laughs> it was my body the police had decided that was lying back there in the charred ruins of my cabin on Lake Latimer. It was Red Tuttle, not Wells Galloway, who was wanted for murder. The truck driver dropped me on the outskirts of the next city. I went into a barbecue joint, sat down at the counter, and pieced the story together. The kerosene lamp I'd knocked off the mantle, that was what had started the fire, and it was the ring and the watch I'd given Red that enabled the police to identify the body that had been burned beyond recognition to identify it as me, Wells Galloway. That much was clear, but what wasn't clear was what to do about it. What's the next step after you've been pronounced dead? What? Here's the egg, fella. Nice day, ain't it? Yeah. Yes, sir. Beautiful day. <laughs> kind of day, it's great to be alive. He made me see the point, the man behind the counter, the point I'd been missing. It was great to be alive, especially if everybody thought you were dead, especially if the life you'd been living had reached an impasse and you were broke and your wife was in love with another man and you were wanted by the police and your only hope lay in a chance to start over, to start from scratch. That's what they were giving me. Handing it to me on a silver platter, a fresh start, a clean slate. I was dead. Now I could begin living again. Well, now, let's see. Orange juice, two eggs, bacon, coffee, huh? That'll be 80 cents, please. 82 with tax. But that was another point the counterman made me see. Subtract 82 cents from $50 and you get $49.18. Not much to start a new life on, not when you're used to big money. And big money was the only thing that would make a new life worth living. A little capital was all I needed, but where do you borrow capital when you can't show your face? Who lend money to a corpse? In the circles where Wells Galloway had moved, friends were not to be trusted. And as for my wife, as for Leslie... Leslie. Yes, Leslie. Yes, that was it. The Wells Galloway brain was beginning to click again. It kept on clicking, keeping pace with the click of the train wheels that carried me back to the city where the late Wells Galloway had lived. It was night when I got there. I was halfway up the walk when the front door opened. I hardly had time to slip behind the lilac bush before Leslie stepped out on the porch. He was with her, the man she loved, Norman Vale. You think I'm callous, don't you, Norman? You think I'm too hard? No, of course not, darling. You weren't happy with him. Naturally, you can't be too broken up over his death. Happy? I was miserable with him. You know how he treated me? I wasn't his wife. I was his prisoner. I hated him, Norman. And I'm not broken up. I'm glad he's dead. A shudder ran 
stand out my spine when I heard her, but that must have been because the night was getting cool, for after all, this was just what I was counting on. My plan wouldn't work if she weren't glad I was dead. I waited till Norman Vale's car pulled away. Then I waited five minutes longer. And finally, I climbed the front steps, put my key in the lock, and let myself in. Who is it? Who's out there? Who is... Hello, Leslie. There had been a time when she would have fainted. She didn't faint now, but she turned very white, and I noticed when she poured herself a half tumbler of bourbon that her hand was trembling. Still, she managed after one long swallow to say rather evenly, almost casually. Let's have it, Wells. I'm sure it's a fascinating story. So I told her. As I talked, I had a queer feeling that, that she was a stranger. Something had happened to her since I saw her last. Whether it was Norman Vale or whether it was the fact that she thought I was dead, whatever it was, she was a different person, a stronger one, and braver, and harder. What do you want, Wells? Accept my uh, condolences, Leslie. It's a tough break. Not at all. I'm tickled pink. <laughs> I'm sure. Did you think I would be? No. Do you have any illusions I'd be heartbroken when they called and told me that you were dead? None. You know what I did? Hmm. A jig. But this time I have a dance in this house. <laughs> You should have done that oftener. Things might have been better between us. I couldn't find anything to dance about. Well, why'd you come back? What are you after? Three guesses. Knowing you, I only need one. How much? 25000 What makes you think you'll get it? I think you could use 25000 yourself. Maybe you'd better explain. Simple enough. I'm worth $50,000 dead. The insurance is payable in one lump sum to you. It should be coming through in another week or so. And you're suggesting an even split? Exactly. I take my half and disappear. As far as you and the rest of the world are concerned, I'm dead and I stay dead. You have 25000 and you're free to marry Norman Vale. I see. Oh. Must have occurred to you I'd prefer to keep the whole 50. <laughs> if you could. And why couldn't I? Suppose I turn you in. Yeah. And you're electrocuted for killing Red Tuttle. I still collect, but there's no split. <laughs> and if I'm not electrocuted, if I get life imprisonment... There would be that risk. Too big a risk, Leslie. I didn't plan Red's death. There was nothing premeditated about it. I killed him in anger. The state doesn't give the death penalty for that. If you can prove it. I think I could. I'd live a long time in prison, Leslie. I wouldn't like that. So? I'm thinking. You stay here in the house till the insurance company pays off. It's safer place as any. Safer? You'd have to stay hidden. Of course. You couldn't step out the door. Not very often. Not at all. You'd be practically a prisoner in your own home. Well, for a week or two, it'd be worth it. Would it? Oh. Yes. I guess it would. All right, well. Oh, I mean, all right. It's a deal. She was smiling when she said it. After all, why shouldn't she smile? Things had turned out well enough for her, considering the fact that I wasn't actually dead. This was the next best thing. Naturally, she smiled. Her reasons for smiling were perfectly obvious, weren't they? She went upstairs afterward and when she came down, she was still smiling. I thought you must be tired after all you've been through, Wells. I made your bed. Thanks, Leslie. Guest room? No, not the guest room. Well, if I'm going to stay hidden, that's the most isolated room in the house. Not quite the most. You're forgetting the attic. The attic? There's an old army cot up there you'll use there. Oh, it's hotter than blazes in the attic. I... It's only for a week or so. You said yourself it was worth Oh, and I didn't mean I... No, but I did. Don't you want to go up now, Will? <laughs> That was when I started to catch on. Hadn't occurred to me that she would relish the idea of keeping me as confined as possible. 
I was abused as I climbed the stairs. Let her have a fun, I thought. It wouldn't be so bad. A few days in the attic, well, that wouldn't kill me. The light up there was dim, and she must have walked very quietly because I, I didn't know she had followed me up the stairs. I, I didn't know it until I opened the door to the attic room. And then just behind me, she said, Go on in, Will. I have the key. I'll lock the door. Lock it? There's no need to lock it. I don't agree with you. The cleaning woman comes tomorrow. Well, she won't come up here. But you might be tempted to go down. Why should I? I... You'll get lonely, Will. You'll get bored and restless and terribly unhappy. You'll begin to think you'll go crazy if you don't get out. Mm. You'll be desperate for the sound of a human voice. Believe me, I know. Now, look here, Leslie. Please go in, Will. All right, there's no reason to take advantage of the spot I'm in. What do you mean, dear? I'm protecting you. I'm carrying out our bargain, the one you suggested. Now go in and let me lock the door. I wasn't amused anymore. This wasn't funny. This was a new experience, taking orders from my own wife. And I couldn't say I liked it, but what could I do? One quick telephone call, one shout, even to the neighbors in the next house, and my game was up. I knew that, and she knew I knew it. So the trump card was in her hand and she was playing it. She was playing it slowly and with pleasure. She was playing it for all it was worth. Good morning, darling. Morning, morning. It must be almost noon. I'm starving. Why, why didn't you come up? I was busy. Norman dropped over to see me. You didn't tell him. Of course not, this is... Our little secret, dear. Did you sleep well? I didn't sleep at all. Worried about something? Certainly not. I, it was hot up here, that's all. What have we got to worry about? Nothing that I know of. Well, go and get me something to eat. I'm dying of hunger. Oh, I hope not, Wells. I wouldn't want you to die of hunger. And then I saw it. I saw it all, the whole thing. The thing I should have seen before. How could I have missed it? She was going to kill me, and why not? What was there to stop her? Wasn't I dead already? Who would ever miss me? Who would know what she had done? She could bury me in the back orchard. She could she could burn me in the furnace. She'd have the whole 50,000, and who would be the wiser? You can't accuse a woman of killing a corpse. Then on I, I paced. The room was only eight feet square, but I walked for miles, and the sweat rolled down my face and down my body, and the walls closed in, and I waited for her to return. What do you want, Leslie? Well, I thought you'd like to know. I just came from your funeral. Oh, they... They buried Red. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful service. I'm sorry you went there. That was the evening of the second day. She left my dinner on the table, and... Didn't come back that night. At least I, I didn't think she had come back. But when I awoke the next morning, I wasn't sure. Sometime toward dawn, a, a shadow had moved across my dream. A locket snapped. The door had opened. Had it been a part of the dream itself? Or, or had Leslie... But why should she have come and gone like that? What could she have wanted? There was nothing of interest to her. Nothing. Nothing. gun I'd emptied into Red Tuttle's body. It was in the pocket of my coat, and my coat was hung over the back of a chair. I leaped from the bed and went for my coat, the right-hand pocket. No, that was empty. Must have been the left. The left left was empty, too. The gun was gone. Leslie had taken it. And now, now for the second time in my life, I, 
I knew fear. I stumbled toward the door. I began to pound frantically. Leslie! 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 I heard her footsteps and then she was just outside, hissing at me. Quiet, you fool. Let me out of here. Let me quiet, Norman. Downstairs, he'll hear you. I don't care who hears me. Let me out! She was going to talk it over with him, tell him her plan, ask his help. They were discussing it now, just how they would do it, just how they would dispose of me afterward. I staggered to the window. She put a lock on it after the first time she'd found it open, and even if she hadn't, what good would it do me? Suppose I could climb down somehow. Where was I to go? The face of a dead man attracts attention on a public street. An hour passed before I heard footsteps again. Now I thought. Now they would do it. The key turned in the lock. The door didn't open. They were getting ready, checking the gun. It was loaded now. They would empty it into me as I had emptied it into Red Tuttle. Now they were turning the knob. They were coming in. But it was only Leslie and... She had no gun, and Norman wasn't with her. It's all right now, Wells. What? Everything is all right. He won't tell. Uh, how do you know? He wanted to. He wanted to go to the police. I, I persuaded him not to, so don't worry. Everything's quite all right. Was it? Then why did she say it like that, and why was she trembling? Because she was afraid. Afraid of what she and Norman Vale were planning to do. Afraid because the next time she came, he would be with her, and they'd, they'd kill me. And I was alone again now. Oh, what were they waiting for? Let them come. Let them come and get it over with. I was tired of this room. It was getting smaller every minute. Smaller and hotter. The heat was unbearable. I could scarcely breathe. Why, it was hotter than it had been ten minutes ago. It was, it was like a furnace. Just like a furnace. I didn't know what it was at first, that sound. I didn't know until I heard it again. And then I knew. There was no need even to look at the steam radiator in the corner. They had built a fire, Leslie and Norman Vale, in the middle of the summer. They had built a fire, and they had built it for me. Now the sweat really poured. Now the breath came hard. No, not not alive, I thought. They, they wouldn't put me in alive. Of course they would. That, that's the safest way. Gunshots could be heard. But you can't hear a man being stuffed into a furnace. Of course they would. No. No, no, they wouldn't, because I, I wouldn't let them. Maybe I had to die, but not that way. No, 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 not that way. There was still the window. There were still people on the street. Help! Help me! They're going to burn me alive! Help! 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 Something happened. I blacked out. And when I came to, I was lying on the army cot. The policeman towered above. He waited until my eyes could focus and 
When he said it, he said it very quietly. You're under arrest, Mr. Galloway, for the murder of your partner, Mr. Tuttle. You fool! You stupid fool! She was standing in the doorway, and there was another policeman with her. His arm was linked to hers. <laughs> I could almost smile at that, but Norman Vale, where was Norman Vale? He'd wanted to kill me, too. He was as guilty as she. The policeman must have seen the question in my eyes. Your wife is under arrest, too, Mr. Galway, for the murder of Norman Vale. The murder of... Leslie, you... You killed him? Of course I killed him. Didn't I tell you he wanted to turn you in? Do you think I'd let him rob me of all that money? Oh, you fool, you fool, you. If you'd only waited ten minutes, there wouldn't have been a trace of him left. <laughs> And now here again is Mr. Joseph Cotton. I've always enjoyed appearing on suspense, and particularly so in tonight's unusual play. As you know, this is the last suspense broadcast for this season, but I'm looking forward, and I'm sure you are, to its return to the air on September 1st, and radio's outstanding theater of thrills will again bring you Hollywood's most famous stars in these gripping studies in... Suspense! Joseph Cotton appeared by arrangement with David O. Selznick, producer of Portrait of Jenny. Tonight's suspense play was written by Ken Pettis and Lou Schofield, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. In the coming weeks at this same time, be sure to hear Escape, a series of great stories of high adventure by the world's outstanding authors. Suspense, brought to you by Autolite on Thursday nights at this hour, is taking its customary summer holiday and returns to the air on Thursday, September 1st. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.